Welcome. Welcome to GM. How are y'all doing tonight? I do have a quick announcement. Two people in our youth ministry that have been building here. Billy's been here for like three years and Jesse's been here for like since he was born. Today they officially got engaged. Today. Today they are officially engaged to be betrothed. Do we have a do we have a date? So, they should talk about it. He he he's like she's like <laughs> yeah, okay so they're they're thinking October ish probably they'll let us know when hey congratulations come on give up for Jesse and Billy from what I know from what my wife and I know they're doing it the right way with integrity so we bless you guys thank you for being a good example we do believe in marriage. I heard Andrew say the word sex like three times a day. <laughs> okay, anyway, get your Bible tonight. <laughs> it was when he was doing the announcement. He said, get, get with somebody the same sex. The same sex. And I was like, bro, can't you say gender, bro? Can you say... He's got to shout sex in church. All right, Romans. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans. Seriously though, congratulations Jesse and Billy. That's exciting for you guys and all those of you who are single. Praise God <clears throat> as well. Hallelujah. You know what? I just want to challenge you. You need to get excited when somebody else is happily engaged and, and celebrate with them. Don't be jealous. Don't talk bad about them. Don't judge them. Because the same judgment will come toward you. So celebrate. Celebrate. Don't, well, why are they doing it? What about it? Shut up. Celebrate with somebody. They're doing it a good way. All right, praise God. You got your Bible tonight? Romans 14. Anybody got their Bible? Anybody? All right. All right. All right. Now we're talking... Romans 14, we're going to begin now in verse 14. This is how it reads in my Bible. I got a New King James Spirit-Filled Life Bible. <laughs> you know that you can actually buy Bibles now that are Spirit-Filled? Isn't that crazy? I mean, what does that even mean? It like talks to you when you open it. When you read certain things, like it was raining, it starts raining in your bedroom, it's weird. But you know the truth is, the Word of God does speak to you if you let it. But most of us want to argue with the Word, you know? We want to argue with what we think it says. But if we let it, it will speak to us and tell us what we should think about it and about Him. So tonight we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and it's going to help us more clearly understand who God is who we are, and how we should relate. Sound good? This is Romans 
book of Romans, Paul is writing. He's writing toward the end of his letter, and he's talking about eating meat. This is what he says. I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. I kind of disagree with that because I think McDonald's would be unclean. Everybody's like, every week, really? Every week? Yes, every week. But to him who considers mooses to... Oh, sorry. But to him who considers... I'm just preaching tonight. Who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother... Your... But yet if your brother is grieved because of your food... You should no longer eat... I'm sorry. You are no longer... Walking in love. <laughs> Do not destroy your body with McDonald's. Oh, wait, hold up. Do not destroy your food. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So this is what he's saying. If somebody does not, if somebody religiously or in their heart believes that it's wrong to eat meat, Paul's saying don't eat meat around them. Okay, he's saying if somebody thinks that drinking wine and alcohol is wrong and they believe it's wrong for everybody, just don't drink wine or alcohol around them. He's saying if your friend thinks it's wrong to go eat at McDonald's, like literally thinks it's morally and religiously and before God wrong, then just don't eat around them. Why? Because the person is more important than you being satisfied by the food. Now listen, hear my heart. I'm not saying that it's morally wrong necessarily to eat McDonald's. I'm just kidding. I do not think it's morally wrong to come out and say that. But it's on that borderline right there. Because the Bible says that you are the temple of God. And to be good stewards of the tent that you temporarily dwell in. And I know that Moose's Tooth is, sorry, that McDonald's is not helping you be a good steward of that tent, that temple of God. And some of you can argue and be like, well, Moose's tooth is fattening. And I hear your argument, touche. I put my sword down. I hear you, but I still stand on that side that says McDonald's is bad for you. But anyway, regardless of whether or not it's good or bad, don't eat a Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just drawing some really strong lines tonight, just some, really, some really solid lines. No, I'm kidding. Eat whatever you want. Just when you get sick, Never mind, I'm just going to stop right there. That, verse 16, therefore, say therefore. Come on, say therefore. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. If you think it's good to you, if you think that it's all right to do it, then don't let us talk about it behind your back and say it's bad. In other words, don't do it in front of somebody that thinks it's wrong. He's not saying you can sin behind closed doors. That's cool. He's saying, talking about food. And alcohol and stuff. You see what I'm saying? Food and drink. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying just go do whatever you want to do and, and don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. He's talking about food. Key verse tonight, say 17. If you got a pen, circle that number, 17, in your Bible, Romans 14, 17. Paul, in one passage, in one sentence, defines for us what the kingdom of God, what heaven, and what the church should look like, but what God's kingdom looks like in one sentence. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to read one more passage. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. You there? Isaiah, Old Testament, prophet, 66 chapters. It's weird. There's like 66 books in the Bible. This is chapter 6. You there? Isaiah 6, verse 1. You there? Just kidding. I'm going to start reading. Isaiah 6, verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is Isaiah. What he's telling us is that he had a glimpse. He had a, uh, for for but a moment, he got to see into heaven. And it says that I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, he had a pretty big robe. It was so big, it filled up the whole temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one, pretty much angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we want to tonight catch a glimpse of heaven. God, we want to, like Isaiah, in some manner, in some way, God, we desire that you would open up the veil, tear the veil away, God, that we would be able to see in and our understanding within our hearts what heaven looks like, what you look like, who you really are, and how we should accurately represent you on earth. God, I pray tonight that that's what would happen. In Jesus' name, amen. My son is my favorite person in the whole world next to my wife. Sorry, son. Ashley's my favorite still. But my son is my best friend next to my wife, and I love hanging out with him. He's getting to that age where he can, can, can uh, never mind, not a big deal. He's getting to that age where he can, uh, he crawls everywhere. Well, actually, he's been doing it for a few months now, but now it's getting to the point to where he, like, wants you to chase him around. And, and as I've been watching him, it's amazing to see how he kind of begin. He kind of finds his familiar places, you know. Even as babies, you can kind of find out where they feel most comfortable, and where they seem to be more. Uh, what, what what places seem to be more natural for them to kind of hang out in? And he has his 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 different his different like zones in the house that I would say he feels most comfortable in. And one of those is a bench. I said a bench. <laughs> A bench that he ha- that we have in our house, one of those benches that you sit down on, you change your shoes. Who uses those anyway? I think it's what you start using those and get old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was rude. 
But we have one of those benches that kind of, you know, the shoes are set underneath it. It's kind of right, right at our door. And we kind of, we got concrete right there. And, uh, and from this bench, Zayden, my son, he can see the whole kitchen. He can see our bedroom. He can see the other bathroom. And he can see anybody that walks in. So pretty much he's got from this bench, he can stand and kind of get the whole area. So if anybody's walking, he can kind of watch them. So he stands, he crawls over there, grabs on that bench and stands. What my wife and I were realizing is that for the past few weeks, he's been getting real comfortable there. Well, really, for the past couple of months, he's been finding that place to be like his, his zone. He hits his head most there. He cries mostly there. And he poops mostly there. We've been realizing that for some reason... This is where he relieves himself, primarily. I mean, it's one thing to see somebody, you know, see somebody poop, yeah. It's one thing to see somebody poop. No, it's one thing to watch a baby poop. You know, they're like, you know, he like, he gets into it. It's one thing to see you want a baby poop. It's a whole other thing to see them poop in the same spot over and over and over again. Now, please picture this with me, Okay. I'm not saying like he's naked, just dropping him on the ground. <laughs> Are you saying that he just poops on your concrete? Actually, that would be funny, but no. But picture this with me. Literally, it's like he just, it's bathroom time, crawls, stands up, squats, gets the right leverage, holds on to that bar, and, you know, he fully just gets red, purple in the face. Totally squats all the way down, stands back up. He's like, ah. <sighs> Looks around, takes a breath, and then <clears throat> goes right back at it. And like literally until he's done, he's like, all right, sweet. And then he crawls away. And I watched the whole thing. I watched this morning. It happened again. True story. True story. It happened like, all, it's been happening all week. And, and I was thinking about it this morning. Like, man, I, I just think that's a figment of my imagination. And he's like, mm-mm. I just like you heard my thoughts. He's like, you know, just sat and for like 10 minutes was just relieving himself. And Ashley and I were actually, I think we talked about it last night too, because we're like, seriously, like why does he, because he did it last night, like why does, what's up with this spot? You know, I, I, I tried it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't try it. No, but I, <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for the day when he gets too heavy and he's pulling on the bench and he's pooping. He's just in that moment and the whole thing flips on his back. You know, I'm just, I, not in a bad way. I just think it'd be funny. Like. He'd find another place to go relieve himself, like the toilet. But we're kind of afraid, you know, we're kind of afraid that, that he's just going to think that that's his toilet forever or something. We just, so if you ever come to our house and you see a little toilet in the middle of our concrete floor next to a bench, now you know why. It's not for me, I promise. What the heck did that have to do with anything? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think that us, as the church, need to be more like that bench. I think that we need to be a familiar place to every human being. I think that in this life, there are so many familiar places 
that all of us as humans have. But I think that the most familiar place should be where the church of God resides. I think that people should feel comfortable around us to relieve themselves, if you will. I think that when people get around us, they should feel comfortable to talk about their weaknesses. I think that that the church should be the most familiar place on planet Earth. I think that any person, believer or non-believer, male or female, Jew or Gentile, Moose's Tooth fan, or even a McDonald's fan, whether you're from South, from Service, from East, from Bartlett, from West, I don't care where you're from, what you look like or smell like, I think that us as a church should be the most familiar place to be. And I say that because I think Jesus is and was the most familiar person to be around. I think that people as us should actually want to invite people to church because we'd be a place that is familiar, like home. When people get around us, they shouldn't feel judged. They shouldn't feel, because some say, well, yeah, you know, I'm not judging. They shouldn't feel less than. When people get around us, when people hang around you, you should be a comfortable place. You should be a place where people get around you, they feel like they can kick off their shoes, put their hair down, and relieve themselves of all their internal weights that they've been carrying around. Because I say that from a, from a, from a, solid, from a solid basis. My basis is this. You ready for my basis? Jesus. That's a pretty good basis. That's a pretty good foundation. Isn't that a pretty good foundation? Jesus is my reasoning that we should be the most familiar place. Why can I say that? Because when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you discover was that there were thousands of people always around Jesus. From the biggest sinners to those who thought they knew everything about the Bible, people wanted to be around Jesus. He was the most comfortable person to be around. Though the religious leaders hated him and wanted to kill him, they still wanted to be around him because they said, you can read it, he speaks with such authority, I can't even argue with the guy. Sinners, sinners would hang all over him. So much so Jesus had to retreat and run away and like, go in a house and not tell anybody. He would climb mountains like flat top hoping that nobody would see him for a few moments so he can get away with his father and, and allow the father to speak to him and encourage him. So much so that the Bible says that they were thronging him. You know the story when it says that there was 5,000 men that Jesus fed with the fishes and loaves? It's fish. I, lo- I, love, I love how everybody wants to correct me when I say something. From, anyway, I'm keep going. 
It's like, it's like the word melancholy. I know it's melancholy. I just want to say melancholy. Let me just clarify that. So I'm going to keep saying melancholy. Don't try to fix me. Anyway, when the Bible says that Jesus fed 5,000 men, what the Bible is saying was that literally there was 5,000 men of gender. And so probably there's 15,000 or more people that are following Jesus around up into the mountains to get food. The Bible over and over and over again tells us that Jesus has people all around him. And they even liked being around him. We are the body of Christ. His representatives, his ambassadors on earth. What I'm saying is that the church, and even our church, and even bigger, the church of America, the church of the world, is not familiar enough to the world. What I'm saying is that we should be an atmosphere and a culture, and there should be a feel when people get around us the same way they felt when they were around Jesus. If not, we're failing in our mission, which is to represent, to express, to explain, to make known Jesus. Whoo, that's kind of hard to be honest, you know. We're living up to a big call, but the truth is if we just keep our hearts right with Christ and with each other, we do it easily. Without even trying, we create a culture that represents Jesus, but we try too hard. So, that's what I present to you tonight. I want to look, I want to look more like Jesus as a whole. I want, and God wants, when people walk in here, they feel like, man, I feel like I could just stay here. Y'all leaving? Where are you going? It's, where you're going, I'm going. Move this tooth, sweet. You, you know what I'm saying? Who else knows? You know what I'm saying? I want to be a familiar place. Why? Because Jesus was that man that people wanted to be around. And I want as an individual to be a man that people want to be around. But even more, I want us as a church, the church of Anchorage, Church of Alaska, to be a place that people go, man, you've been around those people? It's almost like they've been with Jesus or something. Gosh, they're, they're so embracing and loving. And I told them all my junk, and they told me theirs, and theirs was worse than mine. And they're up there preaching. What the heck? I love that passage in Isaiah 6. Isaiah gets a glimpse. Say glimpse. Just a glimpse. It wasn't like he got hung up there for a little bit. Just got a glimpse of heaven and God on the throne. And the thing that he chose to write down was what these seraphims wrote or said and sang to God on the throne. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. His glory fills the whole earth. And it, that was it. And then it says that it was shaken and God said, who will go for me? And then I was like, Me? He's like, nobody else there. <laughs> but God's like, he's like, I guess I'll go. You know? How many of you text, text message? 
I think all of us text message. How many Twitter? Anybody Twitter? Twitter? Any tw- any tweeties in tweeties? Any tweeties in the house? Anybody got the Twitch tonight? Anybody got the Twitch? Call it the Twitch. When you okay? Somebody got the mix itch. Sickos. Anybody Facebook? You post on Facebook? How many Facebook? Come on, everybody, hands in the air, hands in the air. Some of you lying. You didn't raise your hands. I'm just kidding. Josie's like, well, I promise, I do. Anybody blog? Anybody have like a, a page that is blog on? Anybody? <laughs> Some random person. <laughs> Does anybody know you? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Calm down. Ch- chill. You know, just. Is there any other kind of like line of communication? MySpace? Anybody? No, I was not even talking about MySpace. That's stupid. Zuckerberg. Zuckerman, right? Zuckerman? What I've learned is that almost in each one of these ways of communication, there is also a form of communication. Like different, like grammar people use. Like they start throwing in like number signs and call it a hashtag. Come on. They start throwing in all these different things. You start tweeting. Text messaging. You got like TTYL. People just throw random ones at you. Like CCPQRS. You're like. And they're. And you're like trying to interpret it for like six hours. You're like, oh shoot, man! It's like your mom. She like has some. She's like, would you go pick up? You know, like six word, six letters. You're like, oh dang. It's like E, P, Z, Q. People just throw out the craziest just letters, and they're just like, oh, you don't you don't know what I'm talking about? And you're like, no, no, I speak English. You know, I don't. I don't just T T Y L. What other ones are there? What other ones are there? What? MCI? NCI? Oh, my gosh. No cockiness. That's a good one. Because sometimes people think you're being this prideful. But we have all these, like, other ways of communicating. And when we want to emphasize a word, or when we want to emphasize a sentence, or when we want to emphasize a thought, in Twitter, you just put a hashtag, a number sign, and write a word, type a word. And that emphasizes for you what you were trying to communicate in one tweet. What the heck is he talking about? I don't know. I'm trying to teach you guys about Twitter. No, I'm just messing. In text messaging, the only, well, The primary way of communication is letters, some numbers, exclamation marks, all caps, and then abbreviations. You know what I'm talking about? When I want to emphasize something in texting, if I put a hashtag in a word, people are like, what the heck? Especially if they don't tweet. But if I'm trying to emphasize something and I just all caps a word, like, I'm ticked, T-I, I don't know, capital T, capital I, capital C, capital K, capital E, capital D, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And then you copy-paste those, and you 
push pace, 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 pace. And when people read it, they're like, I think he's ticked. I think he's ticked. And you, 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 you're able to get your point across simply by just, just capitalizing something. When you type something up in an email or on a Word document, we have what is called bold. You don't even have to put an exclamation mark. You can just bold it. If you really want to get it across, you bold, all caps, underline, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. People are like, I think he's talking about trees. I think. Well, he, he caps it all, and it's bold, and it's underlined, and it's, it's got exclamation marks on both sides. I think he's trying to talk to me about trees. Well, the Hebrews, the Jews, had their way of texting each other. They had their way of communicating to each other. And when they wanted to emphasize something in their language, if they wanted to emphasize a word, they would use some things like that. But the primary way they would do that is they would, they would write a word three times. That's a pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty genius, if you ask me. I'm ticked, ticked, ticked. I love, love, love you. He really loves me. You see that? Curtsy. I love, love, love you. So when the Bible says that Isaiah steps into heaven and he sees angels worshiping him, and they choose to use a word to describe who he is and what he's like. And they say it three times to emphasize this is what God is really like. And the angels did not say, oh, you're love, 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 though God is love. And the Bible didn't say he's peace, peace, peace. And the Bible didn't say he was just, just, just. The Bible says that he is holy, holy, holy. We've heard that before. But I want to try the best that I can to pull from that passage of Scripture to understand what this man Isaiah saw and heard when he had a glimpse into heaven. What did it look like and how was he acting? I want to know, what does it mean for God to be holy, holy, holy? And what did you see? Because I'm down here on earth, Isaiah, and I don't get visions of heaven. And I'm supposed to be like him. Help us as the church know what that looks like. Did you know that God calls you a holy people? Did you know that? Do you know that that word holy speaks more of position than it does of action? The word holy speaks more of position than it does of action. Holy simply means to be set apart. In other words, there's no one like God. So the angels, when they're singing, they see all of creation, every plant, every animal, every insect, every stinking thing that lives, crawls, moves, or doesn't. And it looks at God and says, he's holy. There's nobody like him. But it doesn't just say it one time. It says it again. He's holy. Holy. Like, the first time's like, there's nobody like God. And the second time's like, 
There's nobody and there's nothing like God. And the third time's like, there's nobody, there's nothing. We can't even comprehend how set aside he is. There's nothing like God. And there's no one like God. And what God's saying to us is that we're a holy people. And that as a church, when God sets his seal upon us, there's no one like us. And so if there's no one like us, then we should stand out pretty big. And we should be expressing the Holy One really, really good. But I want us to understand something. When we say that word holy, some of us go, because we think of holy as do good. To sum it up, most of us think of holy as just do good. I'm not saying that holiness does not have that intended in it. It does. See, I do good because God has made me righteous as his son. So I'm going to do good. But when we hear that God is holy, 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 we think he's some old man sitting up there with a cane and a big beard. Dude's crazy. And I'm saying that, no, God is actually the most familiar one to us. And I challenge your thinking that if somebody who's a sinner gets around God right now, they're going to feel real comfortable. How can you say such an absurd thing? Because thousands of people who were sinners hung out with Jesus and they loved it. And so you're thinking that if a sinner stood before God right now, I'm not saying if they died, if they died and they weren't in Christ, they would go to hell. But if God were on earth today and he stood before a sinner, because we're on this side of the cross and Jesus... He looks at them with love. What I'm saying to you is that God looks at us with love. And anybody who gets around him now, before the judgment day, is going to feel comfortable around him. But on that judgment day, some will go be with him forever and some won't. You with me? Let's talk about us. I've got 10 minutes to describe to you what we should look like as a church. Because what I'm talking about is that our God is a holy, holy, holy God. There's nobody like him. And we as the church are supposed to represent him in such a way that is familiar to every single person. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Well, let's look at this passage. I have three words I want to pull from this passage tonight. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it is joy. What Paul is saying clearly, and I want to emphasize that word joy, but I'm going to start with righteousness, I'm going to go to peace, and then I'm going to go to joy, and I'm trying to help us understand what Paul is saying the church should be more concerned with. We shouldn't be concerned with what we shouldn't drink and what we shouldn't eat. We should be more concerned with righteousness, peace, and joy. If there's any atmosphere that should describe who we look like and what we look like, it should be righteousness, peace, and joy. If anybody gets around the church They should be able to describe it in words like righteousness, peace, and joy. What I'm saying is that in this one passage, Paul tells us how we can look like the holy, holy, holy God on earth the same way he is in heaven. 
You with me? So how he starts it off is he says, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of what you're against and what you're for necessarily. It's a matter of some attributes that define you as a church. Church are too concerned with what you shouldn't eat and what you shouldn't drink. You're too concerned with that. The kingdom of God is not concerned with that. God doesn't care about what you eat and drink anymore. God is concerned with three things that will define you as the church being a familiar place in your world. Righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is same as holiness, but righteousness is more a position as well than it is an action. I'm going to sum it up for you as quick as I can, as good as I can. Righteousness is being in right relationship with God. And because I'm in right relationship with God, I live righteously. I live rightly. You with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? Because Jesus lived a perfect life and died on a cross. Listen, this is the gospel. Some of us only preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But Paul preaches, and I'm committed to preaching the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because without the life of Jesus, his death and his burial meant nothing. So preach as much of the life as you do of the death. Gabriel, why? This is why. Because his death washed your slate clean. You with me? Forgave my sin. But if he just washed your slate clean, and he didn't give you positive merit on your side, then you would have been like Adam and Eve, and the next time you sinned, you still would have been a sinner. But what God did for us in Jesus was that he lived a perfect life fulfilling every commandment that God gave him on earth. So that when he rose again, he stood in our place as the perfect one. So those who put their faith in him receive all the positive merit that he did. So what I'm saying to you is that you're just as righteous as Jesus Christ, positionally. If you're anything less, then you're not going to heaven. What I'm saying to you is that positionally, you are positionally just as right before God as Jesus is, if your faith is in him. Somebody celebrate with me or something. What I'm saying is that you should have, if your faith is in Jesus, the same confidence that Jesus has to go to the Father. What I'm saying is that you shouldn't need boldness to go to God because Jesus doesn't need boldness to go to God. What I'm saying is is that you're made right with God so that he can be in relationship with you. So live like it. When Paul says the kingdom is a matter of righteousness, he's speaking more of position. And because I'm positionally righteous, I'm going to live righteously. You with me? Brothers, sisters, friends, live righteously because Jesus made you righteous. Peace. God is concerned more with peace and unity 
than he is with being right. Jesus hung on a cross as he's hanging there. They're doing bad things to him. We've heard many times. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was concerned more with peace relationally than he was with being right. Because if he wanted to make sure he was right, he could have got off that cross and said, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm God. And I'm going to prove it by destroying all of you. But see, Jesus was more concerned with relational peace than he was with being right. Jesus was more concerned with being in unity than he was with moving forward in his mission. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean when it says that we should be righteousness and peace? What does that look like? It means that if somebody walks into a place that represents the church or walks into a building and the church is gathered, it means this, that we should be in unity with each other. That we should be at peace with one another. See, because emotional peace is a byproduct of relational peace. You've heard me say that before. You've probably seen me post that on Facebook. You want, relation, you want emotional peace? Just get right relationships with God and get right relationship with your friends. And even those that you cannot stand and that don't stand you. The Bible says in Romans 12 to do everything you can in your power to be at peace with one another. Peace. And then joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy is a perspective that gives you an attitude. Joy comes from a perspective that gives me an attitude. My perspective is Jesus Christ lived perfectly for me and died for me so that I would have perfect relationship with God forever. And if I set my mind on that, joy is an attitude that I get to possess. Let me sum it up this way. Paul said it this way. A culture that is familiar, a culture that people want to be around, is a culture that's clean, a culture that's unified, and a culture that's fun. It's a culture that's clean, unified, and fun. And friends, if it's not clean, if it's not pure, and if it's not pursuing unity amongst each other, then it's not God's fun. See, but we have this. This is probably my primary point, so if you haven't been listening thus far, please listen to this. We have sadly, oh, how about this? We have greatly misunderstood, misrepresented, miscommunicated God. Because we think that God is more like a stoic, old, philosophical teacher at UAA. Rather than a dude who hangs out with people at Asai. We have a mentality that our God is boring and what I'm telling you tonight is that your God defined fun in the first place. 
What I'm saying is that God is just as much for joy as he is for righteousness. What I'm saying is that if you take joy away from God, then he is no longer God. What I'm saying is that God is just as much a God of joy as he is a God of love. If you take the attribute of joy away from him, then he is no longer the Lord Yahweh. He is just a figment of your imagination. We must get in our mind this perspective that our God is a God who defines fun. He wants you to have a smile on your face. He wants you to have a kick in your step. He wants you to dance and to be excited about life. Because he lives inside of you. He's alive and he's risen from the dead. And that's something to be joyful and to celebrate. So have fun. We should be a church that is not boring and stoic and melancholy. But a place where people look forward to being around because we're clean, we're in unity with one another, and we're the funnest people on this planet. What I'm saying is that you shouldn't think that when we're serious in church, that that's more important than when we play games at church. Because the same God that's with you while you're being serious at church is the same God that's with you while you're playing games at church. Don't do God a disservice by thinking he's more of a just God than he is a fun God. You know that desire in you for adventure and for fun and for joy? He gave you that desire in the first place. He wants you to fulfill it in a clean and in a unified way. Are you with me? What I'm trying to help us understand tonight is that our God is not stoic. He's not boring. He doesn't, he's not mundane. He doesn't speak in a monotone. Our God does not look like some old professor at UAA who is stoic and talks about philosophy all day. Our God is the man, Jesus, who hangs out with sinners like you and me. And he has fun with them. And you know the craziest thing is, you can try really, really hard to express righteousness, peace, and joy, and you'll never get any of that. But the Bible says that these things are righteousness, peace, and joy are in the Holy Spirit. So Gabriel, I want to live that life, and I challenge and encourage you to live an intimate, desperate, heart pursuit after the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, you will live a righteous life because he gives you the power and the ability and the desire to live righteously through you. He gives you the desire and the ability to make right relationships and to be at peace and unity with one another. And my goodness, he gives you joy to give you strength and to press on with laughter, with a smile on your face, and face every trial and hardship and tribulation and say, God, I thank you that you're alive on the throne and in my heart. But that doesn't happen unless we have an intimate, personal relationship with the Holy One, the one that's like none other. Guys, if we want to be like the one that's like none other, then we got to be around the one that's like none other. Because when you're around the one that's like none other, the one that doesn't change, he's imminent, he doesn't shift, he doesn't move, he doesn't think differently. When we get around him, he changes us because we are changeable. And the more we spend time with him individually and corporately, the more we will be clean, at peace, and enjoy. Would you stand with me? And stand with a kick in your step.
stand with a smile on your face. You say, Gabriel, my goodness, what the heck did you just say? Lord, help me. This is what I said. This is what I'm saying. Please understand. Listen, listen. Please understand that when you go to God, He smiles more than He speaks sternly. Okay? Please understand that your God is happy. Okay? And if you want to have fun, He's the one that gave you that desire. And He's the funnest God. And heaven's going to be the funnest place. And you will laugh so hard in heaven and you'll cry and you'll pee yourself for eternity. What I'm saying is that we need to be a people that represent that God that is clean, that is in unity, and that is fun, better. What I'm saying is that if we do that, we can be like that bench that my son goes up to every day. He'll do it tonight probably. He'll do it the next morning. I'll watch him and I'll think, God, help me to be like that bench. Help me to represent you so that when people come to GM, when people come into my house, that they go, gosh, this guy's like, he's like clean. He, want, he wants to live a godly life. And he, him and his wife love each other. And they're in unity with each other. And man, they just want to have fun. And they, they, they're just happy. I want to be like that. And I want this place to be like that. But we have to make sure that we're abiding in the Holy Ghost and the Holy One the Holy of Holies, whom there is none like. Amen? Amen? If you didn't understand it, get the podcast. I love you. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray, and I have an announcement. Father, tonight, we thank you so much. God, we thank you so much that you're good. And God, even now, you look at us with a smile. I thank you, God, that you don't look at us in anger. I thank you, Lord, that you're not a old man with a beard and a cane and two guys carrying you around (laughs) and you can't even control your bowel movements. Lord, I thank you that you're not like that. (laughs) But God, you're strong. God, you're strong. You're really nice. You're really kind. You're the best listener. You're the easiest person to be around. There's no one like you. You're so loving. When I get around you, I get joy. When I get around you, I feel at peace. When I get around you, you take all my crap, all my junk. You relieve me and give me rest. Thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray you'd make us one as you are one. That's my prayer. I thank you for your people. I bless them, and Lord, I ask, and I do pray, You'd give all of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better. And God, because I believe that if we know you better, we'll be more righteous in action. We'll be at better peace with one another because we'll pursue each other and we'll be full of joy. So God, I pray that you would, that you would express and make yourself known in our hearts and in our minds. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.